out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the American guitarist and songwriter. It is Mike Baguetta, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff. Has had a prolific solo career and also has worked with various bands. His latest is a combo titled MSSV, which features Stephen Hodges on drums and also the very interesting avant-garde punk bassist it is Mike Watt they have a new album their second titled Human Reaction and a live tour that happened throughout America in September October and I do believe a little bit of November 2023 anyway um, they've got a new album so do check that out so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years Mike, it's over to you. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many like touchstone records that I feel like helped kind of solidify my um, outlook on what music could be. Um, I can tell you, too, right off the bat, two albums that really changed the way I think about music and and all of that is um, one is called uh, What Means Solid Traveler by a guitarist and composer named David Torn. Right. that was a really big record for me. Um, the way that he was able to kind of texturize all these elements of guitar playing and processing things into like a, a very like original iconoclastic musical statement that really floored me and knocked me out. Um, and I heard that when I was in high school. So that really shaped a lot of path that I um, went on musically. And the second one would be an album called uh, Contemplating the Engine Room by Mike Watt, with, along with Stephen Hodges and Nels Klein. Um, his first kind of um, punk rock opera, that album really solidified the idea for me that you don't have to kind of like pick one thing and, and you know, like, oh, I'm going to be this kind of player, or this kind of player, like you can take in all of the different elements that inspire you and you can kind of synthesize them into one original individual sound, the sound of a band and yes. make, make a, a long reaching statement, but without leaving that kind of, you know, thread of the sound of the group um without still being kind of pigeonholed into whatever kind of nonsense people talk about so those yeah. are two real big ones that have shaped me for sure and what about kind of 70s guitarists i know david bowie was always very keen on his guitarists and he had a guy from the he's kind of i think it was around his station to station tour 78 he was adrian blue adrian blue was that yeah i love adrian blue he's amazing yeah. Yes. So we, did people like that start coming, you know, on your radar? You know, Oh, for much? sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think all those, everybody who was in Bowie's bands, of course, like great sound and Bowie himself, great sounds as far as guitar playing. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like going down the list of influences guitar wise could be kind of an endless task. Um, yes, this is true. Anybody, anybody who sort of has, a really original sound or some kind of interesting sound that really can grab you, you know, it grabs me the same as anyone else for sure. 
Yes, but you were born, you were actually really young, aren't you? You were born in 79. <laughs> well, it depends who you ask, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems very young. Um, yeah, so you're kind of, did you, at that age of 16, did you leave school or, or go on to college at that stage? Uh, you know, that would have been like the sort of, I don't know, was it 2004, 2005, that, were, that kind of period? Or did you go on to study music? Well, yeah, I, I finished high school at 18, and then I um, I did go to college to study music. I kind of felt like I had to go to college for something, so I figured, oh, you can, oh, I found out you could go to school for music. <laughs> so I figured, that's great. Um, that would be fun, because I love music, and I can learn a lot about it. And uh, But I did go to a state school. I went to um, Rutgers, which was just like a state university in New Jersey, and I did that because I could take all kinds of classes. So I got to take literature classes and astronomy classes and sociology classes. And, you know, I, I never wanted to like be in a conservatory uh, yeah. environment where it was like just music 24 seven, because I always thought that music had to be influenced by life and vice versa. So I wanted to learn about other things. So I was actually pretty happy that I, that I was able to do that. Yeah. And did you, did you come from a family which was kind of, artistic or musical or bohemian yeah my, my dad plays guitar um and he gave me my first guitar lessons and uh when i go home and get to see him we still play duets together on guitar and stuff so yeah oh, that is so far right so what was your first concert that you went to or gig as they sometimes say? oh man yeah i know that my first um well the first concert that i went to like by myself like where i shows like oh yeah i'm i'm gonna go because my parents they would take me um to the, we went to see the symphony uh in springfield massachusetts sometimes yeah. and um i remember going to see the uh duke ellington concert at like an outside jazz festival of course duke ellington long passed away but his son mercer ellington was running the band then. but the first concert where i like got where i was like oh i want to go to this concert by myself when i was old enough was um i got to see this band called the screaming trees right yeah and, and it was actually what was funny is that it was actually uh it was actually a spin doctors concert and i think the the trees were like opening um but i got there to see i wanted to see screaming trees and so i kind of remember i went and i got there early and i saw screaming trees and i was like wow like totally blown away and then um and then the spin doctors came on and and they were you know they were great but i didn't stay for the whole spin doctors no, yeah. I basically went because I thought it was a Screaming Trees concert and I got to see those guys. I think they had the single, didn't they? Was it the Two Princes or something like that, which kind of... That's the, the, the spin, yeah. That was their yeah, Screaming moment. Trees, man, they, they like blew me away. I mean, they like the way they took the stage, the sound of the guitars, the energy, like the whole, you know. And then, of yes. course, I got to, you know, hear, hear them a couple more times after that. But I really loved that band. But that was, I remember, the first kind of concert I was really excited to go to. Yes. So at that period, because we've all seen Woodstock 99 and been slightly like horrendous, you know, horrified by the the idea of being at such a three day festival. I never saw that. But I know that. I never saw that, but I do know that. <laughs> yes. I just thought, well, there was, I think there's a, it's kind of on, I don't know what, whether it's on Netflix or Sky Arts or something. I was in high school then. I think I had some friends that went to that. Yes. I think maybe, I think even maybe I remember I was like trying to figure out how I could how I could go, but I, go. I didn't Because at that period, which is always very a, a formative period, 16 to 18, that was kind of when, you know, they, those kind of really heavy rock, rap, 
bands it was a really macho timing music so how did that sort of sort of line up with your own sort of musical interest and sensibility and sensitivity well um I don't really know that it that it did per se because I always kind of listened to all sorts of stuff like as far as like music that was that was popular that I listened to when I was growing up I guess you know like I was in high school when the quote unquote like grunge scene kind of hit um and so some of those bands were really big for me like I think probably the trees were kind of you could wrap them up into that but you know Nirvana was huge they were huge for me um look I, I grew up in the suburbs of you know western Massachusetts I wasn't like in any sort of like gritty urban environment there there wasn't really any scene that I was aware of that I could be a part of I was just kind of like this kid in the suburbs so um, in a way, it's kind of like funny because that stuff ended up being really packaged for like mass consumption. But I think in my case, it was really good because it allowed it allowed like the idea and the music and the energy of of Nirvana to reach me, you know, so they were a really big influence, Kurt Cobain and all that. Um, I know people have hindsight and they they want to change what their thoughts on it and stuff, but um, I thought that was like a really powerful band, you know, and because of that, I got exposed to bands like, um, you know, like Screaming Trees. Um, Dinosaur Jr. was always kind of their, you know, they were a Western Mass band. So I was kind of aware of them for a while, too. But they had like huge hits in the in the early 90s and late 80s. So I got exposed to them through that, even though geographically they were close to me. Yeah. You know, I found them through the radio like everybody else. Sonic Youth, also a big, big band for me, uh, important, you know, the guitar work and the way, you know, especially Ken's singing was a big thing for me that I kind of channel, try to channel a little bit now. Um, but at the same time, I'm also listening to a lot of jazz, a lot of Lake Coltrane, a lot of Electric Miles. Um, I'm listening to guys like Jeff Beck, you know, and I'm also he hearing a lot of like modern classical music and like kind of classic country music I would hear a lot that I liked. So you know, there's just a lot of stuff to synthesize in that. It wasn't so much like, oh, I have to go to this festival because all the hot bands are there. It yeah. was kind of like, I like this band and I like, you know, I like Nirvana and I like Jeff Beck and I like Coltrane and I like Dinosaur and I like, uh, you know, Shostakovich and I like, um, you know, whoever, Waylon Jennings. I mean, you know. We, like love Waylon, we love Waylon like Jennings. I like West African, you know, I like King Sonny Ade, like whatever. There's all these kinds of things. So it wasn't so much about trying to do the thing that was that was everywhere. It was just kind of trying to pursue these interests that I had. Yes, it's interesting you mentioned African, West African, because I know we we in this country, the UK, we were we were quite lucky in a way. We had a DJ called John Peel, who used to have an evening show on the radio oh, yeah. one. And um, yeah, he, he introduced me to a lot of kind of music, but also a lot of African music. And I remember there was a band, I think they were from Zimbabwe, called the Bundu Boys. And there was this kind of really amazing guitar sound that was just kind of magical. Yeah. And it, it was around that time, I think King Sunny Ade was there. And, and there was just something about this guitar and the rhythm of it and this kind of crispness. And there was people like... The four brothers, you know, mentioned um, the Bundu boys. There was just something very musical and lyrical about the guitar, which was just very transcendent. Oh, so much! Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my my wife is Nigerian, and um, so I got to go to Lagos and meet a bunch of her family and stuff. And uh, but Nigerian music, like Afro pop, high life stuff in particular, what always struck me was the electric guitar sounds. 
they have such an identifiable kind of sound. And I don't know if it was just kind of the types of guitars and amps that, that were accessible over there in, in the um, 60s and 70s. But yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to think like uh, what it is about that music that's so appealing to me about that like specific era of Nigerian popular music. And it was funny because I just eventually realized like, oh, yeah, it's the electric guitar, yes. <laughs> which I already play, you know. Um, but yeah, it is a really identifiable sound and the role of the guitar in that music, too. You know, I bought a bunch of records while I was over there of like groups I'd never really heard of. Um, I just bought a ton of records from this. There's a great record store in Lagos called uh, Jazz Hole Records. Um, and I just went nuts and bought a bunch of stuff. And uh, yeah, a lot of it features like really beautiful, incredible, raw electric guitar sounds. So yes. yeah, I, I, that's a big part of that music there. And the percussion. We love the percussion, don't we, on that on that scene? Yes, no, it was it was just we were just very lucky that we had such a DJ who had that curiosity, not just to play things like reggae, but he played, you know, Bulgarian folk music and a lot of kind of you know music from around the world. But it was just it was just lovely alongside playing things like Sonic Youth and the Big Black and the Smiths and people like that. I think that's the way to do it, you know, like, uh, you know, Watt has a radio show. He plays everything on there. Like, it doesn't matter about what the style is or where it comes from or the genre. I I think borders are not I don't really believe in borders, generally speaking, but definitely not when it comes to music, too. Like, we have so much to learn from each other in so many different ways. It it seems uh, silly to kind of categorize yourself out of learning something interesting about music that way. Yes, well, I, I I love the Smiths and Johnny Marr's guitar. Obviously, harks oh, yeah. back, to, back to the sixties quite a lot. And then you have people like you mentioned Jeff Beck and that kind of yep. you know his kind of raw energy and power. And then people like Mick Ronson who was in Bowie's Spiders Band. Yep. So it was Big it was time. just you know, but the, it was the guitarist who could not just be a virtuoso who was very technical, but just somebody who made it sing and made it sort of transport you in a rhythm. I even felt Jimi Hendrix. He was amazing, but he, there was a kind of a rhythm, but, you know, with it that when you listen to it, you could really sort of go with it rather than just. Oh, man. Hend- uh, Hendrix is a big one for me, for sure. Like, he, yeah, I think everything he plays is amazing. But yeah, it is about I mean, yeah, you could th- think of Hendrix as, you know, the virtuosic soloist. But um, man, so much of what he plays is so in the pocket. And yes. really those early recordings that he's on, he's really just playing rhythm guitar in those in those kind of travel bands and stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard any of that, but um, that's incredible. His rhythm guitar playing is great, too. And of course, like when, you know, he plays rhythm guitar for himself and it's amazing. It's just total groove all the way. Yes, absolutely. I think he was back in Little Richard, wasn't it, one stage? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And those ones. So when did you first go into the studio? Was it the album from 2005? there just as you look at it (laughs) look for my first time in a studio geez that's a good question my first time in a real studio I don't know if I could even remember that it might have been uh yeah it might have been well I record the first thing I really recorded was a was an album of solo prepared guitar music um that I made called Canto but I recorded that like in an art gallery like way late at night when there was nobody around um and I just kind of set up some mics and I did that. Uh, and then, um, yeah, that album you mentioned by Tin Bag, that me and a trumpet player named Chris Tyner, there just as you look for it. I can't remember if that was like a legit studio or just kind of a, a makeshift room kind of thing also. I think a lot of my early 
<laughs> albums were kind of just made with wherever we could set up some mics and you know get some things running for sure you know yes I know what, by the time i was by the time i was making records for fresh sound with my quartet those were sort of studio records that started with um small spaces um source material thieves and secrets right so this was the, the kind of 2010 period where you were starting yeah that's kind of like i yeah i leveled up into like <laughs> And, Actually, and, and at that stage, where were you living at that point? That was, I was in New York City at that point. So when did you, did you work or not work, but did you sort of perform with people like um, Donnie McClasklin? I got to play, I got to play a concert with Donnie McCaslin once. Yeah, I was um, at a music camp and he was a guest and he uh, sent us up a bunch of his music to learn. So I got to learn all of his music off of this one record and um, we got to do, I think we did one or two concerts up there. Yeah. Yes, because obviously he played on Bowie's Black Star album. Yeah, there's the Bowie connection again. Yeah, yes. yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, I got to know uh, Ben Monder a little bit, the guitarist on that record too. So that was that was really cool to hear. Him. Yes, I was going to ask and, you. And the guy I mentioned before, David Torn, he's on. Um, I think he's on three Bowie records actually. Also, he, he's on. Uh, this is the true. next day and Heathen and. Um, Shoot, there's one other one, but uh, yeah, actually, kind of a kind of a Bowie connection that I didn't really think about until just now. Yes, no, he yes, I, I've done interviewed Ben. He's just an amazing guitarist, isn't oh, he? Oh yeah, for sure, stunning. So, when did you meet Mike? Mike Watt. Um, I met Watt uh, when we did the the day we recorded the Wall of Flowers record back in 2017. And how did that? And how did you bump into each other? in the studio that day right. <laughs> we'd, we'd never met before um but the story about that is uh, my friend chris schlarb who runs uh big ego studios and the big ego record label we'd been friends for a while and he asked if i wanted to uh, make a record for his new label and i kind of felt like that was going to mean that i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to record with fresh sound anymore which is a great label in barcelona um that i owe a lot to just for kind of giving me an opportunity and so I kind of was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, it'd be fun to try something different. And it'd be cool to do like a, a little venture with my friend instead of like a, a company kind of a thing. Um, so I said, well, I'd, I'd like to do one, but only if it can be something that I couldn't do anywhere else and something that I've never done before. And he said, sure, what is it? And I was like, well, I want to make, try to make a record with people I've never met because that was up to that point. I'd always made records with my friends, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he said, okay. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be really cool to get to hear Jim Keltner and Mike Watt play together? Just in my imagination, I was kind of like, that's weird. No one's ever tried to have those guys play together because I thought it would, be, it would be a really amazing feel and amazing sound. So um, long story short, uh, Chris found a date that everybody could get in the studio together. And uh, I had a couple of pieces planned, and then we we all met that day in the studio and and made the Wall of Flowers record. Uh, Mike had never met Jim, and I'd never met met Jim, and I'd never met Mike either. So the three of us met each other that day and made that Wall of Flowers album. My God, that's amazing! That's an eight track album, isn't it? So uh, eight, did or, you, eight or nine tracks, yeah. Did you have anything composed beforehand, or 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 written? Yeah, or? I had uh, of what I had composed on that record is um the title track wall of flowers and the other track called hospital song and i i think i brought a bunch more yeah i definitely brought a bunch more songs into that session 
But, you know, as we did, we got those first two done and I think we took a break and we were kind of hanging out, getting to know each other. And then I think I, I was like, Hey, do you guys want to just try to improvise together for a while and see what happens? Cause I was kind of thinking that would be cooler. You know, um, I think you can write a bunch of music, especially if you don't know people, you can write a bunch of music and bring it into a session. And unfortunately you're kind of like weighed down with maybe not an expectation of what's supposed to happen musically, but, but kind of like you have an expectation, you know, and I didn't want to have that expectation anymore. I, I wanted to kind of be really present in this like single moment where everybody just met and see what we could make up together uh, instead of playing these little, little songs that I brought, you know, um, and everybody was into it. So then we kind of improvised for like three hours and uh, I had tons of material recorded. And when I went back to kind of check it out, I just started sort of chopping pieces off that could sound like maybe they could be pieces. Maybe they were compositions. Maybe they were improvisations. It was a little bit hard to tell. Yes. And, uh, that became two of the pieces on there, the um, Dirty Smell of Dying. And, uh, sorry, my dog. I think this is not a euphemism. Maybe that's the title. I forget the title of the titles of them, but. Um, two of the tracks on there come from those improvisations. Right. And this is on the Wall of Flower, Wall of Flowers. Album. Yeah, that's the first record, yeah. Right, yes. I'm not a data point. Of, uh, yes, yeah, that's, sorry, that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a data point and Dirty Smell of Dying. Those came out of the improvisations. And I actually went back and uh, transcribed a bunch of stuff that we all played, wrote it out, and then kind of recompose new material to make it sound more like a composition. And I overdubbed that on those parts. So, you know, those pieces are interesting because I think it gives the listener this idea, like they don't really know if it's composed or not. Yes. Um, I like then, that sort of nether region. You don't really, you don't really know what it is. And then, but, but you also put in blue velvet, don't you on that kind of album? And then we play, then we played blue velvet too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did a. I think I did a solo version, and then there's a duet with Jim. Just me. And yes. Jim. Yeah. And did when when the project was done, you you toured it, didn't you? You did a ten day tour. We did. Um, Jim uh, doesn't really travel too much for for playing anymore. So when it came time to try to tour the record, I was talking to Watt, and he was still down to try to do some shows. And I kind of asked him, I'm like, "Well, do you think maybe um, Stephen Hodges would play drums?" Because I know they'd worked together before, especially from the contemplating the engine room record. That's like a real touchstone for me with um, our buddy Nels on Nels Klein on guitar. And he gave me Hodge's number and I met up with him. He was on the road with Mavis Staples. Uh, I was living in Tennessee at the time and they, he was playing a festival with Mavis down there. So I went down and, and hung out with him for a while. I think he just wanted to make sure I wasn't like an ax murderer or something, but yeah, we hit it off and he agreed to do the tour. And so we did uh, 10 days coast to coast, um, 10 shows in 10 days uh, for that record. And on that trip in 2019, that was when the three of us decided, you know, I should really write some music that's just for this band and it should be a different band because we have a different person now. And that's how MSSV started. Right. That's the beginning, beginning of a beautiful. Yes, I thought, I think I saw Mavis when she was supporting Prince. I think one there was a period when Prince took her sort of into his stable of. Amazing. Minneapolis, didn't he? And um, yes, I think she toured with one of his particular ton concerts, which Incredible. is probably, yes, I know. So look, then, so you become MSSV, isn't it? This is right. Yes, Mainsteam Stop Valve. 
that's that's all good so so then unfortunately the lockdown comes how did that kind of impact on you at that point because that was a you know that sort of was unbelievable so yeah yeah i almost forgotten about it yeah (laughs) we we try we try and forget it don't we um no uh well we did that wall of flowers tour and off of that we we actually made a a live album that's the first mssv recording called live flowers uh and um so then after that we were going to do a a tour when our first studio album mainstream stop valve came out but that's 2020 so that that didn't happen but the you know we just postponed the gigs the record did come out and then what we did actually to kind of um, make, you know, make good use of our time was we all figured out how we could record MSSV stuff, you know, separately kind of with like little home studio things. So I kind of devised a way where I could make a demo, you know, and write sort of like a part that I would want to hear Watt try on bass and and maybe have Hodges come up with some drum things and maybe we would come up with some words or whatever. And so we ended up doing three different seven inches that we uh, kind of conceived of and recorded and um, our friend Chris Schlarb mixed them and our other friend Henry Kaiser mastered them and they came out on three different labels. And uh, that's what we did for MSSV time in lockdown. So that's that's the Italian seven inch on the improved sequence label, uh, the Scott Iker EP, the four part um, seven inch with uh, Petra Hayden as a guest with us that came out um after that one and then the mssv meets nels klein record came out after that one and that one has uh, one song by me and one song by nels and it's nels joining the three of us for both tracks amazing god it's 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 quite um stormy so then with that when did you start recording the new album which is coming out so then after after we did those three seven inches um you know lockdown was kind of letting up and we figured we'd try to get back on the road uh for the tour that we were going to do in 2020. And we ended up doing that last year. That was our um, Haru 2022 tour. That was 48 shows in 48 days. And we toured uh, music off the first studio album. And I figured, you know, what better time to make a record than right after you've played a bunch of shows. So I wrote all the new music that's on this newest album. I wrote that before the last tour. And so we split it up. And so every other night we would do half the new songs amongst our set and the other night we'd do the other half and after those shows we went right back into big ego studios and we recorded um on may day and that uh is how this new album human reaction came out uh came about to getting recorded this fall we're going to hit the road again september 5 to november 4th uh, all over the u.s and a couple of spots in canada and we have 58 shows on this tour and I have new music written for that too. So we'll split that up. And then right after that tour, we're going to record the new music and that'll eventually end up being the third MSSV record. My God, it's going fast. So this tour coming up in <laughs> September, it is incredibly long, isn't it? Are you all... Well, it's 58 know, shows. 58 shows, which is no mean feat, is it really? I mean, have you all had to sort of get yourselves kind of match fit, so to speak? Um. Uh, well, it's good, you know... We are what we are. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just quite a punishing sort of schedule, and I just wondered if. You well, know. I mean, you kind of pace yourselves. You know, we're we're not really like uh, party animals or anything, but um, you know, look, it, we we have to go out there. We get to go out <laughs> and play our music every night for people. Um, that's kind of awesome, you know. And I think if you compare it to like, you know, some 
some guy that's got to dig ditches all day long, it's really not that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, we just kind of pace ourselves and we try to make sure that we can give it 100% every night we go out there. Yes. So with this tour, will you be, I slightly missed that, will you be doing the previous album from last year, which is Every When We Go? Is that going to be half of it and then half of the new album? Is well, that Every When We Go is a different band. That's not MSSV. That's right. uh, Mike Baguetta, Jim Keltner, and Mike Watt. So that's a different project. MSSV is Mike Baguetta, Stephen Hodges, and Mike Watt. God, and that's different music because it's different people. So yes. what we will be doing is we'll be playing um, all the music off of Human Reaction, which is the new album that comes out September 1. Uh, we're going to be playing um, all the new music for that we'll record after this tour. So there'll be songs nobody's heard yet. We're going to split that up every night. And then we also have a couple of pieces from the first studio album, Mainstream Stop Valve. And then uh, we're also going to be putting in um, the songs from the MSSV meets Nels Klein album. So we'll have those two tracks floating around there also. And how does it change with, you know, because obviously you're, you know, you're keen on three-piece bands. How does it alter with a different drummer? Oh, man, like uh, really, really dramatically. You know, I think uh, if you have three pieces and you change even just one personality, you know, the music becomes something totally different. Um, I, I I find like you notice that really apparently in duo, duos, like two, two-piece bands, yes. right? Because it's, they're easy to keep track of. You've got this person and that person. And then if there's another duo, it can be that same person with somebody else. And things sound so different. You know, and that's I think that's good and like really real. I don't want to I would think it'd be really kind of bizarre to have three different people and to sound the same as when you play with three other people. Yes, that wouldn't really make much sense. You know, it's interesting. And I, I was I was always curious, you know, like with someone like David Bowie, you'd always bring in a different, you know, quite a different band and a producer for each of his projects. Nearly. I mean, what do you does it have that same kind of change of energy between you know, the kind of the dynamics of that group, even though, you know, there's two of you that are still, you know, very much part of the the sort of the core of both bands. Well, I think the MSSV music versus the Bugetta Keltner Watt music is very different. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with with Hodges and how he plays the drums and the types of sounds he gets versus the types of thing, the types of sounds that, that Jim Keltner would get. Yes. That's part of it. But it's also at this point part of the fact that MSSV has played so much together. You know, we've, I think I figured it out once. We played like, um, you know, 65, 66 shows together or something like that. You know, we figured out how to make those seven inches separately. We've made a couple albums now. So at this point, it's also just the evolution of, of being around each other and being, being able to play so much music together that kind of informs how we are too. Yes. And after with this particular tour, which is going to take most of the winter up, do you have plans of sort of touring it in Europe at all? Is it come, you know, have you got sort of dreams of bringing it elsewhere? Well, we've talked about it and, and we'd sure like to. Um, we tried to set one up for this past spring, but um, the guy I was talking to over there kind of uh, disappeared. So it never really panned out. Um, it's kind of bizarre, but um yeah i mean it's definitely still on the table so if you know anybody send them my way yes absolutely that that would be good actually do you um so what these i mean i guess you've got so much on at the moment but i just wonder what your plans are for 24 what do you, the next oh uh, geez yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I go to LA in a few days to start practice with um, Hodge and Watt, and then we start the tour. So that's kind of pretty much where the focus is at, at this point. Um, I can say with some degree of uh, of confidence that I'll I'll be um, making music and playing the guitar in 2024. I can tell yes. you that. And if you could have, if you could have whispered something to your like sixteen-year-old self as you were starting out on this journey, is there anything in particular you would have thought, oh, that would have been a good idea to have known at the time? <laughs> oh man, I, I'm sure there's a million things, but uh, you know, I also kind of believe that everything you you do gets you to where you are now, and um, I wouldn't change anything about where I am now. So I I probably wouldn't try to change anything about where I was then either. Yes, do you is that relationship with what? Is that kind of critical to the the next project? Do you feel that that might be happening on the horizon? Um, the next project? Yes. If if you you know if you've got a you know the next album or the next combo is you know. Oh, I, I mean, I have, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean because we did another band before. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I haven't really thought about that. Um, I mean, we're going to make another MSSV record after this tour, but. Uh, you know, I have other I have other groups as well, and he has a bunch of other groups, and Hodges has a bunch of other groups too. So I, I mean, uh, you know, people just kind of keep on doing what they're doing, and uh, you know, I mean, we get along; we're, we're good friends. So I'm sure something will pop up at, at some point, but um, I can't really read the future. No, because actually, Podge has been on one of my favorite albums, which is Swordfish Trombone. Oh which yeah, is, which is man. You know, Hodges. I think people kind of forget. Like he, he had so much to do with that, that development of that sound. That kind of like, um, that sort of like uh, industrial acoustic drum sound that comes from those early Waits records. I mean, that's Hodges. You know, I love that sound about the way he plays, and I think he's responsible for a big part of the the creation of that tone in music. Yes. Well, I think that that particular period, Rain Dogs like, too. Yes, but that that one, you know, swordfish trombones that had underground, but also in the neighborhood, which is still a classic. Oh, yeah. but, but his drumming on that is stunning. It's just oh man, his drumming on everything is stunning. He's he's an incredible musician. <laughs> see, wait, who who sort of leads the kind of a music the musical project? Do you do you have a particular style of the three of you together that that sort of leads it, or do you is it always quite different depending on what, what day of the week it is? Well, I, I write most of the music for MSSV. So I think kind of whatever my whim is that I think would be fun to have those guys play is what we end up doing. Yes. Luckily they they haven't um they haven't turned down too much of what I brought to them. So there's been no mutiny in the band, has there? But not yes, not yet. Anyway, look, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. It's been amazing. I think that was thank um, you, David. Yes, and I'll I'll be you know excited. I've only had a few tracks from the new album actually, so um, but I've heard more of your previous album with the other combo. So um, yes, cool, <laughs> it's good. But look, it does all sound good. I really hope your tour goes well and that you manage to um, yes, keep keep it all the way through to the to November, isn't it? September. Absolutely, isn't it? yeah, no question. My God, you'll be so tight by the end of that tour. You'll be you know incredible. It'll be interesting to see the musical development of the band. That's why I like recording after the tour, because you can start new music at the beginning of the tour and think you know what it's going to be. But then after you play it for 50 shows, it changes into something so much greater than what you could ever imagine. That's the time that you want to make the record. So that's what we do. That's it. Christmas. That's going to be happening, isn't it? You'll be back in the studio.
It's going to be happening. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you ever so much. This has been great. And um, yes, and I'll great send the link through to your chap. That set yes. Okay. Great. Please. Awesome. Great. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview with Mike Bergetta, talking about his uh, musical journey, solo work, and also with MSSV, whose new album is out and available from all good record shops and probably online as well, Human Reaction. And uh, they've just had a massive tour as well. So, um, yes, you can find more about them on various social media platform sites. This has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Otherwise, have a great week. Stay safe.